is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Welcome to uh, the latest season of Existential. I'm so glad that you're listening. Um, we took a little bit of a break there, but we are back, and we're back with a guest that, like, I, I mean, I don't think I say this all the time. Actually, I know I don't, because there's only been a handful of guests that I really was like, I would love to have them on the podcast someday, and today is kind of a dream come true, I think. Um, Dr. Christina Cleveland is our guest today, and she is joining us from France, actually, right now. So, uh, Dr. Cleveland, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah. How, so how's France? I mean, you are, I've, I've never been, you know, so I don't know much about it other than bread and, you know, stuff like that. So bread, how is it? cheese, wine. It's great. Um, I am here because um, I love Black Madonnas, these ancient Black Madonnas, and France has more um, than any other country in the world. And so I've been, you know, pilgrimaging all over France. So far, I've seen about 30. I've met about 30 of them, and there are over 100 of the known famous ones and many, many, many more. And a lot of them are like a 1,000 years old and have really interesting stories behind them. And so that's why I'm here, just living my life and then in my free time, just going out to these tiny mountain villages and meeting people. And (laughs) (laughs) I speak no French, so it's hilarious. But I'm learning... I'm learning that I, my pant, my pantomime skills are solid. Are they? Solid. And so, okay. yeah. So I am amazed at how far some gesturing and a big smile will get you in rural so you, France. <laughs> you're, you're smiling and miming your way through France. Exactly. Just, okay. Exactly. Got you. Yeah. A little bit wow. of Google Translate here and there, but yeah. Um, so it's Dude, been, it's so you've mm-hmm. you've like legit, and, and this is what this is what I gather from like just watching your movement through social media. Of course, we can keep you know tabs on each other, but just watching your movement throughout the world, like, is that you've been on a journey? Uh, I mean, I think I first yeah. came mm-hmm. in contact with your work. Uh, you wrote an article about Duke um, when mm, it was like okay. it was about the basketball team or something like that, mm, and, and mm-hmm. some of your experience. And then I've I've just seen you kind of traveling, like. What, what, why did you take this journey? Like what made you, like what made you start like to literally, like you physically made the journey, but emotionally, I feel like, and and spiritually, Mm -hmm. all of it, like you've been on a journey. What, what, what was the catalyst for it? Yeah. It's funny that you asked because the editorial team at my publishing company, Harper, um, wrote, you know, the back of the book and, um, Mm -hmm. they kind of do that because I think as authors, we're too like, to me, I'm like, people just read the book. Don't we don't need a back of the book? You know? <laughs> like, I'm so I'm so connected to the to the to the material, and you know, yeah, I can't see yeah. straight. Right, so yeah. they write that, um, and so they they started it by like, you know, they're like, her crisis of faith led her on this journey, and I was like, I, I think my ego, like my ego, was like a little bit <laughs> like like bumped with that. I was like, yeah, oh, for sure. I think it's that sort of like white patriarchal impulse in me to always feel like I've, 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 
I, I've never been on a journey because I was born arrived. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you mean journey? Like, I'm just here. Like I'm here. I'm yeah. self-actualized. I'm, you know, um, mm. but no, it's true. We, we kept, I know I didn't, I didn't wordsmith that line out. And so that is on the back of the book. Cause the truth is it was a crisis of faith. You know, I, mm. Um, you, you kind of met me at the beginning of the breakdown, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, some people, some people know me from kind of my former life where I was like this little evangelical uh, mascot, like a darling. Mm. And I was speaking on all the biggest stages and I had a column in Christianity today, like a monthly column in Christianity today magazine and you name it. Everybody was inviting me to come speak. And I was like the cute little black girl who would come talk about reconciliation. (laughs) And I, you know, it's like I'm black, but not too black. You know, I got my yeah. Ivy League credentials. I, you know, and so, and I was just, I mean, I was making a lot of money. Um, I was getting pimped out. Mm. I was being treated horribly um, behind the scenes. So in my book, I actually have a section called Severing My Career as Christianity's House Nigger. And mm. so I kind of tell story after story after story. Me and the Harper legal team had a fun time with that because I named names. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, it's just this, I think for me, it was like, I genuinely believe. Yes. I genuinely believe. If we just help people know what to do, they'll do the right thing. If we just mm. help these Christians, and I'm not saying just white Christians. I mean, predominantly yeah. white, but not yeah. just white Christians. If we just help them know what real reconciliation is. So I'm like, I'm a social psychologist. I'll come. I'll give you insights. Mm-hmm. I'll give you research. I'll give you tools. And it wasn't until 2012, Trayvon Martin, that was huge mm-hmm. for me as a millennial. I think it was huge for a lot of millennials, you know. But when mm-hmm. I realized the way the church responded, this church that was supposedly was my family, mm-hmm. my safe place, you know, mm-hmm. With the way the church as a whole responded to that, I was just heartbroken. So I guess that was sort of the beginning of the unraveling where I was just starting to be like, wait a second, what's going on here? Yeah. Like, I was just confused because up until that point, I just thought if I just keep trying hard enough and if, I, if I'm just eloquent enough and if, I, if I'm just persuasive enough and if I just, and so I think it was really a crisis of faith of they, they lied to me. They lied to me about mm. who God is who God cares about, who I am, whether I'm sacred or not, they lied to me. Wow. Dude, so, wow. It, it, it amazes me how many of us have the same story. You know, mm-hmm. I, I start reading your book, and I'm, it's, it actually was, it was crazy because I'm like, dude, this is how I was starting mine. Like this, this mm-hmm. idea of the imagery and what we were taught and what we learned. And I had this mm-hmm. conversation yesterday with um, a, a new friend um, just about how so much of the evangelical world now has turned their gaze to deconstruction and have demonized it. And there's even articles mm-hmm. saying that one of the reasons, one of the reasons why people deconstruct is because they just want to sin. And I said to this, this, this person yesterday, I said, you know what? I don't know a single person. Uh, I'm not saying that this is my anecdotal experience. I'm not saying this is the case for everyone, but I don't know a single person who had a crisis of faith who had it because they just wanted to sin or because they just, <laughs> they just, they just, they just wanted to throw off the shackles of God. Like most of the people who I know, in fact, every single person I know who's deconstructed did so because they genuinely believed in God and in goodness and they were disappointed by what they saw behind the curtain 
when they saw the people mm-hmm. who were mm-hmm. telling us about God were pretty much full of shit. Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. basically what it is, and that's what I just heard you mm-hmm. describe. It's not like mm-hmm. not yeah. like a crisis mm-hmm. of faith. It's like oh, you know, I just woke up one day and decided I didn't want to be you know evangelical mm-hmm. anymore. It's like this was a real journey that has like a real beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I was like, you know, I did everything that I was supposed to do. You know, I was I mean, in that sort of that white, white patriarchal way where it's like if you just conform, you know, if you just do stick to the rules and, you know, and I did all that. And it was just um, and but to see, gosh, this is how they treat you, you know, and and this is how this is what they really think about black people. And then, of course, President Obama getting elected, hearing what people were saying about President, and then, oh of course, gosh. Trump. Right. So, I mean, it's yeah. just like but I think for me, Trayvon Martin was a huge um was a huge catalyst because it just awakened me to the reality of the people who claimed to be my friends and claimed to love me. And they couldn't, and that's back in the day when I was actually interested in dialogue with people that, (laughs) that, you know, I refused to see my humanity, you know, now it's like, there's yeah. a syllabus of about 150 books, programs, and institutions <laughs> that you need to have gone through before I'll even begin to have a dialogue with you, you know? But, like, <laughs> but back then, I was like, but you're my friend. How come you don't want to hear my side? You know, and then just wow. to see people, and now I know people get reactive and that, you know, it's like, you know. But back then, I was just like, what's happening? I was a bridesmaid yes. in your wedding. <laughs> like, <laughs> I used to have sleepovers at your house. Like your dad baptized me. You know, like I what, what's wild. happening? I, I'm just this is I'm just telling my story as a black person, and it's like all of a sudden, yeah. So you know, I think that that was so heartbreaking. But then to see it on a, a systemic level, I saw it at Duke yeah. as faculty there at Duke. You know, where they basically hired me just to be again the cute little evangelical black girl who could make the black church studies folks. Seen extra black and problematic. <laughs> and then I got there and aligned with the black church studies people. And the white people were like, wait, you weren't supposed hey, hey, to hey, align. No, them. no, that's yeah, not your wait. job. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed yeah. to be black. You didn't have to be black. <laughs> Dude, I mean, uh, it's just unreal. It's like, it's like, you know, you had those moments where you're like, I know my experience is valid and legitimate. But like you're you're almost I, psychologically, I guess for me sometimes I even feel like I gaslight myself. I'm like, no, maybe it's not. And then I hear you talk, and I go, yeah, that's exactly what happened. I I literally mm-hmm. said out of my mouth after I left, uh, you know what I called the big church that I was working for out here in the area. <laughs> I, the I said church. like, yeah, <laughs> they they wanted me to be to look black, but mm-hmm. not to be yeah. black. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, don't identify totally. with with blackness. Just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. show up at, in the package and like you know make and just us give a little of that give a little seasoning. Yeah, <laughs> put a little soul in our yeah, Chris Tomlin. Little... Give us a little soul in there. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And it's, so to see that over and over and over again, right? In interpersonal relationships, you see that, but then you see that in institutional and sort of like you know, capitalistic job situations, and then you see that on a national level, and then at some point you know, you, well, I don't know, for me at least, it just was a breakdown. But I think what happened, so I think, you know, after Trayvon Martin, I started thinking a lot about the problem of white Jesus. Mm. Um, And that was my thing for a few years. And I never really interrogated male Jesus. (laughs) Mm. 
mm-hmm. and what that means. Mm-hmm. Because I think as mm-hmm. a black woman, I always had to choose between being black and being a woman because mm-hmm. there's so few spaces where I can show up as both. And actually, I, I essentially stopped going to church when I, when I committed to only going to churches that are not misogynistic or anti-black. Yeah, and it turns luck. out it's, it's yeah, exactly <laughs> right. And so that felt like a huge wilderness for me as someone who's a pastor's kid and wow. like had always been church, you know, yeah. be like now yeah. I really have to find my, I mean, there's a reason why people don't leave the plantation. It's actually really hard to go into the yeah. wilderness. It's lonely. It's uncertain. There's no structures to support you. You don't have a language. You don't, you don't have a currency, you know? So, but I think it was getting Trump elected that really made me think, okay, the problem is not just that Christ is white. The problem is that Christ is exclusively male because look at how these, because when I, because when Trump was acting racist and xenophobic and, you know, the white people, the white Christians were supporting him, I was like, of course, because y'all are racist and xenophobic. I know that, right? But then Mm. when Trump started talking about white women, I was like, oh, surely, surely, surely you care about your precious little white women. Wow. (laughs) And when they were defending him, I was like, damn. Yeah. White Jesus is just part of the problem. They yeah, don't see the sacredness 100%. of women. Wow. And as a black woman, I especially get caught in the crosshairs of that. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of talk about in my book how black women are at the intersection of these like two just unholy, unworthy entities in our society, blackness and femaleness. And so to yeah. actually consider a God who's both of those mm. is... Mm. Um, it, it was transformative wow. for me, and you know, people get upset. <laughs> I, well, I bet they do. So, so let's talk about the book a little bit. And I, I feel yeah. I feel really blessed to, um, you know, I guess a perk of being a podcaster is like sometimes you get people's book early and you get to read it. And so, getting to read a little bit of your book, um, it's um, it's it's so freaking good. Like just just I was captivated Aww. from the beginning. Even just like the quotes you use in the beginning, like you know. James Baldwin and the other quotes mm. about God and divinity are just, I was just, I, I'm, I can't wait to finish it. Um, mm. Can you just tell us the title of it? Because the title already is like, <laughs> just like coming at you. Like, right? That's heresy. <laughs> exactly. God is a black woman. God is yes. a black woman is the title. Yeah. Yes. Why, why mm. choose that title? It's the only one. I mean, it's the only one that made yeah. sense to me. I'm glad my publishing company, I mean, when I proposed the book to them, I proposed the title. And more often than not, they, are, they, they say, we like the book. We're going to come up with a different title. Right. <laughs> but they actually said, we like the book and we're going we're gonna to keep the title. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for me, um, the boldness with which I have gone on my journey to encounter the, 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 myself and the divine is something I want to encourage other people to do. I mean, I believe that God is a black woman and I want everyone to believe that. And also I want people to go on their own journey and find themselves in the divine because when we all actually realize after being told our whole lives that we're not sacred, once we finally realize that we're sacred too, game changer, Mm. game changer. And so that's why, you know, it's just like, well, I went on this journey and I encountered, I, I came to the belief that God is a black woman. And this, the book tells my, my story of that, you know, from kind of being that uh, little evangelical mascot 
to being what, yeah. you know, those people who used to pay me big money now call me a witch. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a witch. Just a pantomiming sorceress. You know, just that's, just, that's what you are. Out here in France. Just, just <laughs> casting spells. <laughs> drinking wine. <laughs> Wow, and there's just uh, uh, there's just so much in there's just so much in the title to me. Like, uh, you know, my my visceral response to the title is "I hope so," um, mm. and and then also there's just so much deconstruction to me that happens just in reading that title. Um, mm-hmm. And I also mm-hmm. reflect back on how mad people got at the shack for su- ever suggesting. <laughs> Which is hilarious because I actually take the shack to task in my book. Wow. So it's because, yeah, because um, I have this one chapter in the book called She Who Was Unapologetically Black. Mm-hmm. And I kind of talk about how when part of this actually relates back to the title, because even though my book is about my journey to experience the black Madonnas, I really didn't want like black Madonna to be in the title. And I didn't, I wanted it to be God as a black woman, because one of the problems with the way people understand the black Madonna is she's kind of like an archetype, mm-hmm. which is disembodied, mm-hmm. which is convenient if you're a white person and you don't actually want to have to deal with the sacredness of black women right in your face, telling you about yourself. And so I've, I've had issues with this sort of, she's, a, she's this ethere, um, ephemeral, a black light who helps us guide you in the dark. You know, just, it's like she didn't have a body. She didn't have a body, okay? Which is so problematic to me because they don't do that to the white archetypes. The white archetypes have mm. a female body, and their female mm. body is the clarion call to fight patriarchy. So all of a sudden, black, black, the black God, God, female God is disembodied. Mm. Mm. He's there with you at the time of death. Wow. No. So that's, that's convenient, right? It's convenient yeah, it and it's racist. And it's a way yeah, for white is. supremacy to live on. And the same thing in the shack, I talk about how, like, the entire, the, the, you know, Papa, the black woman who's, who actually is a mammy in the movie, yeah. right, and in yeah. the book, right? Less Octavia Spencer, no shame to her, no shade towards her, but like the the entire embodiment and and personification is of a mammy. She's a larger, buxom black woman who's gentle and kind. She's literally in the kitchen cooking up things, okay? Jesus. And this white man, Mac, is in his pain, and again... We all have pain. I'm not down. I'm not downplaying his mm-hmm. pain, but he has pain, and so then he he connects with this black female god, and then in the conversation in the book, he says, "You know, I thought you would be a white man," and you know, the black female god Papa says to him, "Well, if if I were a white man, you, that's what that's what you expect, and so you wouldn't be able to receive me, but I showed up as a black woman, so I could show, so that then you would um, kind of do a double take and have to." encounter me like i'm basically a black woman because it, it's good for you and i was Jesus. just like how convenient <laughs> oh so god is a black woman when the white man needs uh, god to be a black woman wow no wow. that's literally wow. just Damn. white male god living on in a black female body and Damn. so i you know i just talk about all these ways that even with even with a title as bold as God is a black woman, people will try to get out of actually dealing with the fact that God is a black woman and that she is not convenient for anybody. 
and that she is not contorting herself for anybody. I am because I am. Like, deal with it. All of us. And I mean, including myself as a black woman, like what do I have to divest from as a black woman to actually believe that God is a black woman? The ways in which I have benefited from patriarchy, whiteness, toxic religion, all these sorts of things that have separated me from my sacredness and my connection to the earth and my connection to other people, including black people, including black trans women, you know? Mm, Yeah, yeah. So much. I mean, that chapter is all about she is unapologetically black. And if you can't deal with that, then you then just forget it. Like, don't then go find another God. Stick to white Jesus, because Mm. like she's not here to be anybody's number two. She doesn't work for you. (laughs) 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 And that's the thing, right? Black women always work for you. Always, whether it's black men, whether it's white people, we always work for you. We're the mammy. Always. We're always the number two. You know how many times I got kicked out of white organizations when I stopped being an awesome number two to the mediocre white man who needed me to make him look good? (laughs) But I decided, why don't I just leave the people? (laughs) No, you can't do that. No, that's not. I'm doing all the work anyway, and it's my vision. And it's like. And that's wow. when you're a Jezebel. That's when you're dangerous. That's when you're untrustworthy. You know, all the things. Oh, man. So, I have like okay. eight books. <laughs> you do. You, know you do. Mean? We could write just stories. Well, this I mean, I think, a, I think a bunch of us could just sit in a room around a table and <laughs> right? just throw our stories out, and then we'd have 100 chapters. You know, it could be like a new, it could be a new council. You know, we could, we could have a new canon just of, of black people's <laughs> stories. Of how their experience with white Jesus. I mean, it's it's unreal. But but you you your journey is a great word for this because as I listen to you and I think about you know what you've experienced, I think about like the Hebrew story of Abraham being like this 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 person who followed a formless God into the wilderness and you know and it was so like as you mentioned before like scary and dangerous and all the all the rest right um, and you've like pursued. Uh, the black uh, feminine divine out into the wilderness so much mm-hmm. so that that you describe um, the story, this like captivating story of you risking, I'd say risking your life mm-hmm. to not yeah. just observe a black Madonna from like the safe space, but to like go mm-hmm. beyond where anyone mm-hmm. is supposed to go to come face to face with it. Like, why the hell did you do like what yeah. what what uh what was what was burning inside of you that made you say I'm going beyond this border setting off these alarms and and I'm going to go like be face to face with this black madonna Yeah, you know, I think I think a big turning part point in my journey was I'm sacred too. You know, after years and years and years and years of thinking that I was less than, not maybe not explicitly you know, and I would, I would even probably have argued, no, I don't think that. But if someone really said, like, you truly believe you're worthy, you truly believe you're intrinsically beautiful, you truly believe that you're wise and that you can trust your own embodied wisdom, like, do you truly believe that you're holy, that you're good, you know, all those sorts of things, I would have, I, I, in an honest moment, I would have said, no, I don't believe, because I, I was taught that. I mean, I, w- I was always taught. You have to be like white Jesus, really. 
right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, it's a zero-sum game, right? No one can ever actually be worthy. <laughs> ever. And so, ever. It's, yeah, it's, 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 we spend our whole time just um, trying to climb the ladder and tr- trampling other people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think once I started to finally see myself in the divine, I was just like, you can't, like, that's a black Madonna. Like, she's from the fifth century. I'm a black woman. You can't keep me from her. Uh, <laughs> kind of like how like you know how like there's all, like some you know how some people wear the shirts it's like you know god god give me the um audacity of a mediocre white man yes you know how they have you know, shirts. I, I would never wear a shirt like that personally just because i don't really want even that on my chest you know what i mean but like you know it's like i i think i started to finally or like i remember when i saw um when i saw wonder woman Mm-hmm. I was so amped. I was like, is this what men experience all the time with all these superhero movies? I was like, I could take down anybody right now. Like, just even watching a white woman in a problematic movie, right? I mean, it's wow. like, there's issues with the movie, but just seeing someone who I could sort of relate to, just taking mm-hmm. people out, it's mm-hmm. almost like that's how I feel about the Black Madonna. Finally, I'm like, that's mm-hmm. me up there. So you can't keep me from me. It's that like, audacity. <laughs> wow. know? And also, like, I came all the way from the U.S. And you're telling me I can't <laughs> like, Wow. And, you know, wow. I think on the one hand, it's like, you know, it's like a little bit of that cockiness. But on the other hand, it's also this, I, it's a breaking down, too, of the whole patriarchal notion of ownership. Mm. Like, you don't own her. You don't own land. You don't own it. You don't own energy or resources. Like that's all. Wow. We're all here together. And if we're respectful, you know, like I don't understand why. I mean, I understand why they have to guard them because they've been stolen. Is there like a, uh, is there a picture of you up out there? Like, you know, wanted, are there wanted photos? (laughs) I have not been back to that town. I've wanted to go back to see her again. No, because I actually didn't even really get to, like, sometimes I do, like, a little, like, meditation practice and, like, mm-hmm, light a mm-hmm. candle and, like, you know, like, be present. And mm-hmm. I didn't even really get to do that because I got there uh-huh. and then basically. So I was thinking about going back, but every time I think about going back, I'm like, there, I literally might be wanted. Like, these little towns, like, Dude. these little yeah. towns are so small. And the area that I'm in is basically Trump country. In They're France? Just, the French version, the French version of Trump country. So, so there's some, wow. there are a couple of um, really prominent politicians, kind of like Trump, honestly, maybe even more extreme in terms of their rhetoric, because mm. um, France can just be like super xenophobic. Um, and mm. this is the area with, where that's most alive, because they, they call this deep France, like deep south. Oh, yeah. So why are there so, so many black Madonnas there? That's that was what I wanted yeah, to ask you earlier. Yeah, fascinating. So yeah. Um, a couple reasons. <clears throat> One, this area is really old, and most of the oldest cities in France are in this area. So part of it is that these are literally just like um, the the continuation of of goddess worship from pre Christian oh, okay. times. Okay. So a lot of the sites that they're on, there are, many of the Black Madonnas are in Catholic churches, but most of those Catholic churches were built on what were known pagan sites. Mm. And so a lot of, so yeah, the, earlier this week I traveled to a little teeny tiny town called Arconsa, and um, I went to this village, and the village doesn't have a 
it doesn't have anything. It has just like a few houses. There's no store. There's no pub. There's no nothing. And um, that that particular Black Madonna, people believe um, she's from she she was discovered in the 12th century, but people but she was dug up from the ground supposedly, mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. think that she's actually like an ancient um, Sybil. The like the like ancient North African Macedonian goddess, and so there was this, this whole area. The pre-Roman people were pagan, and they had they all worshipped dark goddesses. Um, and so that's one reason why. Another reason is this entire area is surrounded by a chain of volcanic mountains, and so some of the Black Madonnas are actually just formed from the same volcanic lava rock. So the Black Madonna is only like an, a mile from me. Our Our Lady of the Good Death. Um, I actually totally crossed all of the lines and forbidden signs and took a selfie with her today because I was just like, I cannot. Um, but I, I know that the cameras at this particular place, um, they have cameras up, but I know they're not connected. Um, so so you, 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 didn't have to, you didn't have to run and hide there. I do my, I do my research to kind okay. of figure out what's that. But anyways, she's made of volcanic rock. So she's black because she's made of lava rock. And then some wow. of them were brought here um by disciples of Jesus and they mm. that, and so they they and they knew Mary to be black and so they carved mm. black so like the, there's a black madonna about a 7 mile walk from here who was supposedly brought here and carved by one of 72 one of Jesus' 72 Marshall Martial and he's the one who like founded the community in this town Marsat which is named after him and then supposedly he brought her from Palestine and these are all, you know, wow. legends and lore, but yeah. that's, that, that's the story that you hear on the street. And so there's yeah. kind of all these. And then the last reason is that um, for 800 years, this part of France and also a good chunk of Spain were, um, uh, was colonized by the Moors. And so a lot of them are actually just Black Madonnas that, pe- that Black people brought here. <laughs> and that's, that's another reason why there's so many in Spain. Wow. So, yeah, that's awesome. All, they all have their own story, and it's just. But this particular area that I'm in in central France has um, about 40, 40 or forty five of the hundred in France. So it's like, and it's not a very big area, and it's very underpopulated. So that's amazing. Yeah. I so I I, I remember uh, probably I don't know two years ago or so, I posted a Black Madonna on my uh, Facebook, and I said, mm. "Mary, Mary, did you know?" Right, was the mm. caption, and there were black people that were saying I took it too far, and I'm like, I just don't understand, oh, yeah. like oh, how yeah. this is offensive to, like, I don't get it, like, what, why is it that white folks can, we know, we know that that Jesus is Middle Eastern, we know that Jesus went to Egypt, which is in Africa, <laughs> like, we know that is this this area is not where white folks are, but we can see white. Uh, nativity scenes our whole life but it's the moment someone shares one that's black it's a problem totally yeah i mean i would say my biggest my 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 two biggest um sources of like hate mail and all that kind of stuff are white men and black women for real conservative kind of conservative christian black women Mm -hmm. oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i mean Mm. so i it's not surprising to me that you got some of that feedback yeah, I, I wonder, you know, it's interesting. I feel like I would have responded. I don't know. I mean, mm. I grew up in a pretty, I, I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian home in the sense that we were not, we were taught not to ask questions. Faithfulness mm. 
means never asking questions beyond what beyond what we think we know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that people necessarily have issues with a black female God. I think they have issues. Like the questioning is what makes it feels unfaithful to them because it's different than what they've been taught. And I think um, in general, a lot of black Christians, both, I mean, I grew up part in like the Kojic church. So I didn't mm-hmm. just grow up in evangelicalism, right. like, but I, yeah. but in the Kojic church, there was often a white Jesus. I mean, at my grandfather's church in Chicago, there's a, a above the altar, there's a picture of the previous pastor, of course. <laughs> 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 of course, right? <laughs> And then there's a picture of white Jesus in a church in the south side of Chicago that's all black, you know. And so it's not so much that people are 100% committed to that idea, but it's just questioning is unfaithful. Yeah. Well, the first time I saw a black Jesus, I've said this a couple times to folks, was in the basement of an AME church. I grew up AME, but I went to like white Christian schools. And I saw, you've probably seen this, this black Jesus. He's, he's pretty swollen. He's got locks. And like, yeah, totally. I, mm-hmm. I was, I was like, that's not Jesus. And there was something in me that like, just could not resonate with that. Even though I was at an AME church, I just couldn't find my way to accepting that, 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 that was Jesus because my imagery that I'd seen my whole life was that of a white Jesus. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was super foreign to me. You know, even, yeah, even being black in a black church. Tools. And like, yeah. we don't have the spiritual tools. So like, maybe if you went to a liberal arts college, you learned how to do scientific method and to question mm-hmm. and to wonder, but in the church, that's mm-hmm. so, that's not really discouraged. It's literally um, like, it's seen as heretical. It's seen as 100%. unfaithful. You know, and so it's like I was this like scientist with a Ph.D. and asking all these tough questions in one world. And in the other world, I was just accepting everything Mm. because Mm. to not accept had implications for eternity for me, for my soul in eternity. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. And and your and your like your your connection to to the greater community, because there's certain stuff you have to believe to stay friends with these people. And Christianity is in the in the in the U.S. context is is um, I mean it's like it's almost like a total institution in the sense that like it it absorbs every single part of who you are your finances your social um, your social patterns and behaviors your um, who you get married to your relationships mm-hmm. like your beliefs your culture I mean it's just so total. And so to walk away from that is literally like walking away from a plantation where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to eat. I don't know how I'm going to communicate. I don't know where I'm going to sleep. I don't like, it's literally that, that total. (laughs) And so it's just like, that's why I'm like, people don't leave the plantation because it's really, really, really hard. But I remember every single time I had to leave another plantation, whether it was leaving Duke or whether it was leaving a particular church or whether it was like making a public statement that I knew was going to retract a bunch of speaking engagements that I was now relying on because I no longer work at Duke, you know, like that kind Mm -hmm, of stuff. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just knew I had to, I had to connect with Harriet Tubman and be like, you know what? Harriet Tubman had no idea the night that she escaped, how she was going to live how she was going to communicate, how she was going to figure her way. She just, she just, that we don't know until we take that step. Yeah. 
You have to believe it. That's the nature of the plantation. You will never know. You can't plan for it. You have to just go. And so, and I, and I go back all the time to how she just like had this deep connection to the North star. And to me, Mm -hmm. to me, that's like a connection to abundance. So whenever I had Mm -hmm. this fear of leaving the plantation, I'd say, how can I find a way to connect with a level of abundance or a source of abundance so that the fear is not as loud as the abundance? Because I can't make the fear go away, but somehow I have to find a North star that I can trust. And for me, that was God as a black woman. I was like, if God is a black woman and I'm leaving a toxic, anti-black, misogynistic, massage noir space, then she will find a way for me to live. I don't know how. I don't know where. I don't know when. But if I truly believe that God is a black woman, if I truly see myself in these black Madonnas that I walked 400 miles to visit, then I have to believe that. Some people say belief is everything or belief is nothing, you know? And it's like, and I know, I was like, I've been living too long with this like agnostic idea because I couldn't trust white male God. So I was always kind of an, I was technically a believer, but I lived agnostic, right? So it's like, yeah, God, I can trust God, but I'm going to make sure I do my things on the side, my side hustle, make sure I have what I need because at the end of the day, I can't really trust God. <laughs> wow. And so wow. it's like I was a practicing agnostic, even though I was a professing Christian, Jesus. you know? Um, and then it's like once I actually believe in a God that I do feel has my back, that I do feel sees me, do I, that I actually think gets me, it's like, okay, well, then I actually have to trust that, which means bye-bye Duke because this is a plantation and I can never be free as long as I stay here. And I don't mean to say that for everyone else at Duke. Exactly right. For me, for my situation, for my calling, I couldn't stay there. And continue on my liberation journey. So I, you know, I don't, you know, um, there's a couple, there's a couple times. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just like, I would be like the rest of the day, just like walking around, just with thoughts bouncing around in my head from this conversation. You said so much that I'm just like, damn, like, okay, because I want to find myself in that story, like, because I, I resonate with the, the, the agnosticism of of not really being able to trust the God because you don't really deeply identify with God in that way, which brings me to ask the question, right? He's betrayed you. Right, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So, so it's like, okay, where, where does a, uh, a cisgendered black hetero man find their self in God as a black woman? And I'm not, I don't want to ask you to do emotional labor to, 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 to prescribe for me and any other black male listening or like how you do this. But like, I'm curious, like what, how do we find ourselves in this story? Cause I feel drawn to it, but I'm like, mm. you know, how do, how do I find myself in that? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, well, I mean, I think, I think God as a black woman is one like under, undervalued, under-examined, like, piece of the puzzle. Mm. That's not to downplay that idea or her at all, but I will say that as I have found myself in her, I have started to find myself in Black male God, Mm. in Black non-binary God. But I think I needed to heal 
I need to at least start the healing journey because I don't think I am fully healed, but I needed to start the healing journey of the way that patriarchy, white patriarchy has harmed me as a black woman before I could even begin to see the ways in which I need God as a father too. So like three years ago, five years ago, if you were like, but where, but can you find yourself in the story of black male God? I'd be like, uh, God's not a man, blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> I'm triggered. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which Just is pouncing. all legit. Like that's, right? that's part of the journey, right? That's yeah. part of the journey. But now that I'm so much more healed, someone said something that was very masculine slash male about God, but also very beautiful. And I was able mm. to receive it. And I've literally been like meditating on it since I heard that three weeks ago, right? As, and it's, mm. So so I think for maybe for men, um, like a black cis man, the, the journey in is how, how can understanding God as a black woman heal my, my sacred masculinity? Wow. What does that look like? Because the, the problem of white patriarchy hasn't just harmed black women, it's harmed black sacred masculinity too. It both with it with people of all it within people of all genders. And so, what is having God as a black woman and all that that entails, and in, in sort of the way the way many of us understand black women or the the sort of sacred black woman, right? Hmm. How does that set you free and also help you to engage the sacred masculinity of? a black male God too, because I think if, if black men without examining their own toxic masculinity and participation in the harm of black women, just start pulling together a black Jesus, that's going to be really problematic. I mean, that's part of the reason why a lot of women have issues with tone, bless his heart mm. and rest in, rest mm. in power, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the problem is not just whiteness. The problem is patriarchy too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wrote a mm-hmm. chapter in my book about the problem of white women and white male God. And I could have written a chapter mm-hmm. about the problem of black men and white male God too, you know? Yeah, and so sure. I think like, I didn't because I'm not trying to come for black men that publicly in that way. <laughs> but <laughs> I have receipts <laughs> and yeah. should write the chapter, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think the question is then, like, you know, how does this heal my masculinity so that I can, yeah, mm. so I can be That's of so service rich. to the liberation of all people, including black women, as, a, so as opposed to an impediment, you know. Yeah, that's so rich. Thanks for sharing that. And I and I like it's so helpful, so useful. How how do we um uh find you, people listening to this? How do where do we go to continue to like oh. be enriched by Dr. Well, <laughs> I'm about to leave social media. I'm so no. excited. Oh yeah. You are? Um I am. Uh I don't like it. I mean, it's not for me. It's it's a, it's a lot of rabble rousing. It's a lot of spectating. It's a lot of chatter mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. and I think it works for some people, but I'm like a quiet contemplative. Mm-hmm. And um so mm-hmm. it's just not a good fit. So yeah, I'm going to start a newsletter. Um and that that's how I'll communicate with people like a weekly newsletter. But I'm on Patreon. My Patreon community is like popping. We have so okay. much going on. Okay. Um and so I have a Patreon community. You, people can join my free newsletter. You know that you can go to my website now and sign up for that. Um, you can get my book if you can. Yeah, I'm just I'm yeah. out here. Yeah. Cool. So great. And people people can pre-order God is a Black Woman right now, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. And it comes out February eighth. 
Yeah, and everyone needs to read it. It's amazing. Um, Dr. Cleveland, thank you so much mm -hmm. for joining us from France. Um, stay safe. Thank you. Be careful. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for stopping by. For real. Thank you. Good to be well, here. Folks, thank, folks, thank you for listening. Thank you to all of you who have subscribed to the podcast, uh, who've shared it with people and told everybody they should listen to it. I appreciate you. If you've rated or reviewed it, I appreciate you a little bit more. And then most, if you're part of the Patreon community, thank you. Uh, for being a part of that. And thank you for helping us to continue for a better world, one conversation at a time.